Hi, everyone. Welcome to my podcast, On Purpose. This is Janice Alpert, where we talk about how you're doing your life, if you're doing it with purpose, if you're on your purpose. And today, well, you know, I'm always excited about every one of my guests is a woman named Beth Green, who's willing to share her story and how she found her path, which it wasn't an easy, like smooth sailing. Hi, Beth. Hi, Janice. How are you? I'm well, and you? Oh, we're good. So why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about your background? Like, where did you grow up? What was your family like? Okay. I grew up kind of touring the Midwest. My Mm -hmm. father was in sales and Mm -hmm. went from one Midwestern city to the other, oftentimes mid-year. Oh, wow. Middle of first grade, middle of second grade, the summer before fifth grade. So really pivotal times in one's life. And um, this was at a time where they didn't roll out the red carpeting like they do. Oh my God. You know, there's a new student and everyone gets all excited and they have a buddy and it's wonderful. But not then how it was. So it was really, really difficult. Um, I have an older brother. We're really close in age. Mm -hmm. And that is where the closeness has ended. (laughs) And my parents were really young when they had us. So they, my mom was trying to adjust to all the different cities we were moving to. And so So that means each time you moved that, yeah. So every time you moved then you were in a new school, not knowing anybody. No. Oh my goodness. Yes. It was, it was hard. Mm -hmm. It, It was really, really challenging. I never felt like I fit in as far as my education. It was not seamless because what one district does mid-year right. different district is not doing. And um, so I feel like I missed a lot educationally as well. So mm-hmm. it, it was not, it was not easy. It was not easy. So it's funny in my, our last podcast, we were talking about homeschooling and, and kind of the advantages of that. So this, this is another, I'm not saying that that would have been the answer obviously, but from what you're describing of how you were moving, that sounds like that was really, really, really hard. How did your family handled it? Like were, were your parents understanding or were you kind of on your own or? Yeah, very much. <laughs> yeah. No, like I said, my mom was, um, she was, <laughs> ironically, she was a welcome wagon woman. Oh, <laughs> so this that's is hysterical. Us, but um, she was very busy welcoming like new families that would move when mm-hmm. we had moved and it was her way of meeting new people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really, um, kind of a cat in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. For those that don't know years ago, that's, they literally had, Beth's not kidding. It was literally called welcome wagon and that's, and they had people in the neighborhood that would welcome you. And it was like a great thing. And they'd bring over, you know, cookies or whatever. And then they'd have like pamphlets of what's going on in the neighborhood. I remember when we moved, someone came to our house. So we literally moved two blocks. So we didn't really need a lot of welcoming, but still it was nice that someone came over. Yeah. So, but there was no one really welcoming little Beth. Okay. So when you, so then did you end up like being in one place for high school or what was, what happened after? Okay. Well, I moved to a community, um, in the, an upper middle-class community Uh in Chicago, a suburb of Chicago. And, um, I was in the same junior high, but our junior high split off. And some kids went to one high school and Mm -hmm. some kids went to another high school. So it was, that was really hard because I finally formed some really good friendships and Mm. most of them ended up at a different high school. So 
I did not have a good high school experience. I was had a lot of depression and anxiety, and um, I had some learning issues that were never addressed. Oh, wow. Um, so high school, it was not a pleasant experience. <laughs> so yeah. So again, when you think back of your childhood, it was really Beth on her own, going yes. from school to school, then you finally get into a community where at least you live there for a few years, and then that splits, and then high school still, and you had learning issues, and Nobody, I'm sure there was not like nowadays, you know, the, the, the kids have a, they can't read or do whatever they're supposed to do by six years old. They've already got a staffing and they've got a team. There's a team. And it's fantastic. Yes. It's wonderful. Fantastic. No team for you. Okay. So you remember, right. So you remember all those feelings, like I felt left out both academically, socially, because when you have learning issues and you're not processing in whatever way that others are. That feels isolating as well. Yeah. My, my brother got things very quickly oh. and just sailed through with A's. And I would go to school and I would take in as much as I could. And then I would come home and teach myself oh. because I, the way that teaching was when we were growing up, yep. it, the teacher stood in front of the classroom mm-hmm. and just talked. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't an auditory learner, you struggled. Mm -hmm. There was no knowledge of different learning styles back then. So Mm -hmm. it was auditory or nothing. And um, I'm a visual learner. And so Mm -hmm. it was a big struggle. I can relate because I am too. Um, Yes, as you already know. Okay. So while this was going on, do you ever remember, I mean, you were were struggling and you were an adolescent thinking, I wonder if there could be a different way, or you were just trying to have one step in front of, you know, one foot in front. No, absolute survival. So first of all, amazing, because for anyone out there who might be listening, who has suffered from depression or anxiety without help, because it sounds like you were on your own, it feels like a black hole and that you're never going to get out of it. So that you really kudos to you that you just kept putting one foot in front of the other. And ultimately, so ultimately what happened? Like, how did you get to, so after high school, did you go to college or what? I did. I left high school early to work because I love working. I've always loved working. Mm-hmm. I was a worker when I was 10 years old. I had a full-time babysitting job. I was a, wow. summer, I was a summer girl. Oh, I remember um, the summer girls. Yes, I was a summer girl. It was fantastic. That's but, where you'd have the girl come to your house and yeah, take care I of your little my, ones. Yes, I went to my neighbor's house and she played tennis every day and went to her country club and I took care of her three-month-old baby. And you loved it. I was in heaven. That's Mm -hmm. all I wanted in my whole life was to have a baby that I could call mine. I just thought it would be the best thing ever. So I loved working. So I left school uh, a semester early high school. Mm -hmm. And then you were still able to get your high school diploma. No, no, I I was done. I was done with academics and I was done dealing with everything. Yeah. the high school. So what was your job? I managed a retail clothing store. Really? Yes. And um, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was such a great job and I did so well. They made me in charge of store openings. So wow. I would fly around the country to whatever store they had that was opening and spend like two weeks. And I was 
18. I was just, I'm thinking you're 18 years old and you're flying and and opening. That's unbelievable. So with all your struggles, you found something that you loved and and you did that. Okay. And I did that. And then I met a guy Mm -hmm. um, right before I was leaving for college. And it was the first real boyfriend I had. Mm -hmm. And it was not the healthiest of relationships. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I was just so happy to have someone who loved me Aww. that I ignored a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So I was already registered at school. So I went away to college and mm-hmm. I always thought I knew I wanted to do speech pathology and audiology and work with kids with mm-hmm. cleft palate or speech wow. issues. I just, for some reason, decided I wanted to do that. And then okay. I went away to college and basically it was him or college. He was four years older. And so he did not trust me because he was not trustworthy. Yes. And so he was constantly doubting what I was doing in school. So I was, I did not have a good freshman year. And Mm -hmm. after freshman year, I just decided I was done. I was going to stay home and be with him. Do you remember at that time having a little voice inside that was saying, I don't know that this is so great. Yes, Mm -hmm. I absolutely had a voice inside that said this was not so great. But my parents, he was not the same religion and my parents were very against it. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's what made me stay with it Mm -hmm. for five more years. Wow. Till we got engaged and my parents said, okay, let's plan a wedding. And I thought, oh my gosh, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. And I finally broke it off. The voice was strong enough. So good for you. Because I think, you know, when you think about your background, and this is for anyone that went through what you went through, which is feeling isolated alone, your mom was busy welcoming other people. And just because that generation didn't really, you know, kind of look at like, oh, maybe my daughter needs help. And then you finally find someone that I want to say loves you and I'm using quotations, but it felt that way to you. So though, even though your inner voice went, well, I don't know, it really didn't get loud enough for you to finally say, all right, I, I can't marry this guy. So that was pretty brave, I have to say. So now you're in your mid twenties and no more this guy that, and you, were you still working at the clothing store or? Uh, at this point I was in sales working for a company that sold commercial interiors for businesses. Oh, okay. So I sold office furnishings through designers and architects and mm-hmm. I was making a really good living. And were you, were you living um, on your own at this point? I was living on my own mm-hmm. and doing really well. And I thought mm-hmm. I was happy. Okay. So finally at that point you were thinking, okay, I've got a more, a little bit more sense of self. I'm feeling a little bit better. I have to, no, I can't marry this guy, which was a hard decision, but you knew inside yourself was a good decision. And so things are kind of going okay. And how are you dealing with depression, anxiety? Was that a little less or was it still rearing its head? Well, I got into a really bad car accident Mm. and I had to move home with my parents for about, I was in the hospital for about three weeks and then I moved with my parents. And they had to move me out of one apartment and into their house. And what happened was the car accident was so traumatic and they didn't treat the whole person back then. Exactly. They treated my physical injuries. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, 
I heard the car. We had a head-on collision on a rural street after my college roommate's wedding. The person driving our car had been drinking and he had made a stop for alcohol on the way back from the wedding. And I was behind him in, in a small BMW. And we, I closed my eyes for a second and we had a head on collision. Oh my um, God. Wasn't straight on the head, it was more right into the driver. Mm-hmm. And he was airlifted into a hospital. He had both lungs were punctured by his broken oh. ribs. They didn't think he was going to survive. I was stuck in the car. They had to jaw you out, jaw me out. Oh my God. Um, it was. I didn't know because I was 27. I didn't know how traumatic it was. Mm-hmm. Today, you would know how traumatic it was. Exactly. But no one paid any attention to my mm-hmm. mental state. And I remember just laying there, just hearing the car hit and it knocked the wind out of me. And anyway, it's a trauma. To me, that's an, an interesting, unfortunately, sad part of your story. But it's just a reminder that you can't ignore when you have a trauma in your life. And I, t- you know, I can understand because I had a car accident as well. And just even as you're talking about it, I can, you know, visualize it. And we do because you, I wasn't hurt, thank God, but you were, and we do, we hold it in our body. And because just as you said, back then there wasn't, you know, no one talked about PTSD or, you know, how people deal with trauma. And when you're in that state of trauma, when you think about, well, how, you know, what, what am I doing here? And I've survived this and thinking like, well, is that a time where you started asking what my path is or what my purpose is? I'm guessing you were asking, how am I going to survive this? I was asking how I was going to survive this. Right, right. And then my best friend, well, I met my now husband. Yes. Um, because I had dropped out of school mm-hmm. at that time when I was after 19. Right. I felt because of the community that we live in, we're 99.99% yes. of people are not just... Right undergraduate degree. Yeah. We've got a tough crowd where we live, a tough crowd, tough crowd. And, you know, at 27, people are still saying, where did you go to college? So, and I felt very insecure about not having finished college. So Mm -hmm. I started taking classes back at uh, the local good university. And um, I met my now husband Mm -hmm. and were you uh, still interested in speech pathology or had you just Now, I realized after a couple classes that I was not, that was wrong. Okay. I don't go down a path you think you're supposed to go down, listener. <laughs> go go you to decided when you were 12. That's yes. What you were to do. Uh, yeah. So what, what was your inner voice at 27 saying that you thought you might want to do? Well, I thought thought I was too old at that point to go back to school and mm. degree. Yep. And this was like 27, 28, 29. I remember being 30 years old and thinking, I'm too old to go back to college. Mm-hmm. So I just kept doing sales. I was doing really well and mm-hmm. got married and I had my first, we were married one year when I had my first son and then I had Another child, uh, for <laughs> nine months of having one child, I had another one. So that was my path at that point. Mm-hmm. I was a mom. 
there's nothing I wanted more in my life to be a mom. And I was 110% mom. And, and, and then did, another one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you have three, three kids now yeah. and you loved being a mom. This was like your dream. And I'm sure you paid attention to them in a different way than your mom did to you. Yes. So you were involved and invested and you, and it sounds like you took tremendous joy. I did. Okay. Tremendous joy. Wonderful. Okay. So, but sounds like there still was a part of you that was still thinking about school. If I'm. Yes, I definitely wanted to finish school, mm-hmm. but there was no chance I was missing any time with these children. Okay. Oh, I was just full out mom. Okay. And when they got to be in middle school, I volunteered at their school to Mm -hmm. help on a project that their school was working on with a sister school, which was, which is a poverty school in the city. Oh, wow. And so I was working on this project with these inner city kids. And I thought, wow, this is, this is so fulfilling mm-hmm. to see these kids come out here and be in this community mm-hmm. where we have a library and we have all these incredible resources that these kids didn't have. And subsequently, I heard about a program called Working in the Schools. Oh. And it's a program where people volunteer their time to mm-hmm. work in the schools mm-hmm. with the teacher and they can work in the weekends. My brother-in-law was doing it on, on the weekends okay. and I got involved with it and I became a volunteer at this sister school, which that, is a poverty school in the city. Unbelievable. And you, but you could feel inside, like I'm, I'm onto something here, like inside it felt like you enjoyed it because that's very, again, because from where we live to be volunteering over there, first of all, that's wonderful and amazing. And this again was 20 or whatever year, long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yes. More than 20 years ago. Right. Yes. So, and you did that and you, they didn't require a teaching degree or anything. You just did yep. that. Okay. Volunteering. I volunteered volunteering. twice a week. Wow. There, and I went for a couple hours and I worked with a fifth grade teacher. Okay. And some of these kids read at like first grade level. Mm. A lot of kids that English was not their first language at home. Okay. And so I would just sit out in the hallway and read with these kids. Oh, wow. And it was, I just, it's something sparked inside my body. Mm-hmm. You I could just, feel it. I could absolutely feel it. My mm-hmm. grandmother was a kindergarten teacher in Columbus, oh. Ohio. And she was first of all, person way, in the whole world. way before her time, way before she was a, she graduated college. Oh my daughter. goodness. She, yes. Her claim to fame was Archie Griffin, the football player. If anyone knows Archie Griffin, but he was a very famous football player for a team in Ohio. And anyway, he um, was her student and I used to go with her to her classroom and she worked in a, they, I don't even think they had poverty schools back then. Yeah. I don't know if they had any programs for mm-hmm. low income families. students. Yeah. Yes. But that was the 
that was who her children were. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you had a little men, a little role uh, model and you didn't even know I it. Did. Yes. I did. I love that. Watch her. She played the piano and they sang. This is what kindergarten was. They weren't yes. at desks and learning. They were playing and learning by play. Cute. And so um, I think I just had this spark in me through her. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of dormant there for a little bit. And then when you started volunteering, and so you're, and because you were talking about being a mom, so you did this when your kids were in school. So you were really missing out. So it was like a kind of a good fit. Exactly. Okay. Great fit. And then I was in therapy at the time. Mm-hmm. And my therapist gave me the okay to go back to school. Mm. And at this point, I was like 38 or nine. Mm-hmm. And I thought, it's okay to leave my kids. Yes. I love your therapist. Yay. And he said, yes, you need to, to do this for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, that was it. That just put me on my path to living for myself at this point. Mm-hmm. Never, never easing up on my parenting. And I think they got a lot out of the fact that their mom was a student. Mm-hmm. And I think they thought it was fine. Uh, probably more than fine, cool. And just, you know, I know I shared this on my first podcast. I think I did, but my dad went back to regular college. And so this is like a zillion years ago and law school. And became a lawyer. And I went back to school when you were talking about going back to school at 28. That's so old. That's when I went back to school to get my master. So to me, it's never too late. So you start, I'm no, it's amazing. So you started at 37 or 38, whatever, and you have three kids and you're, you're committed now to getting your undergraduate degree and becoming a teacher. So I went to a really good teaching school uh here in in Chicago, Chicago, obviously in Chicago and Mm -hmm. They have a great program. Mm -hmm. And then I did student teaching in second grade and fifth grade. And I just knew that middle school, those were my kids because I was healing myself. Exactly. Teaching these kids. I I love that you know that. For them, the teacher that I didn't have, Mm -hmm. the person who believed in them, that I didn't have. And it does so much for me to teach middle school. And people will say to me, you teach middle school? Like that is the worst (laughs) grade. And I just think it's the best. It is the most pivotal time in their lives. And if they have somebody there for them, it's just, it's life-changing for them. And I, I love it. Totally. So, and, and if you could see Beth's face, you could, you would see her just grinning from ear to ear. So, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So I just love that. And, and so, yes, you do it. It fulfills you, but you're, you know, one of the things about usually if we're on our path and we're doing our purpose, not only do we feel it inside, but usually there's some element of giving back. And so when we have both of those combined, we're probably going to be right where we need to be. But I just want to go back. So during the, however long it took you to get your degree, were you, um, how'd you deal with feeling just overwhelmed? And because there are people out there who might be listening that are thinking, yeah, I'm not too happy in my career or my voc- or maybe I don't even know what I want to do, but I do want to go. I sort of know what I want to do and I want to go back to school, but I'm scared for just all the reasons you've described. They've got a family, costly, it's time consuming. How did you balance all that? I wanted it so badly mm-hmm. and 
it didn't feel like that. It didn't feel like a stress. It didn't feel like a strain. Okay. I love learning so much. I've always been a learner. I'm always seeking knowledge and this going to college Uh at that age, you're, you just, you get so much out of it. Well, you're so much more mature. I wasn't Ah. there to meet a guy. I wasn't looking for sororities to get into. Right. Just, I was learning a hundred percent. But in the meantime, I was dealing with some major health issues. Did that get in the way though of, you know, what the health issues? Well, I had a pretty severe eating disorder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That started when I was probably eight. Wow. Um, but it was masked because it looked like I was just a very healthy person mm-hmm. eating all the right foods. Right. And well, when I was not when I was eight through, yeah. you know, maybe 18 mm-hmm. wasn't, that's not what it looked like. Mm-hmm. It looked, I would say it was just thinking if I could be skinny, then my life would be mm-hmm. good. And I think that's how I got through my depression mm-hmm. in those years, just and- not living, mm-hmm. just being in this interim state of hoping that Monday morning I could go on the diet mm-hmm. that will last, or I would get stomach flu and then I could continue not eating mm-hmm. just like anorexia longing. I just thought yes. if I had anorexia, I could be happy. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yep. Sadly, I think there are still many women today of all ages that feel that exact same way. I mean, even though we're hopefully moving forward to being a little bit more progressive and inclusive of differences, both in race and religion and sexuality and body type, I think we still have plenty of people that are struggling with exactly what you have struggled with. And by the way, thank you for sharing that because that's, that's a lot. So to be, you know, you, you said you went for therapy for some of the anxiety and depression. Meanwhile, there's also an eating disorder going on, which is also hard to recover from. And you have three kids and you went back to school. You're, you're like amazing. Okay. And you're smiling. So yeah, that was a lot. So you obviously you went for help to recover. I did. I couldn't, well, things got really out of hand. Mm -hmm. Um, Something an acquaintance of mine's daughter committed suicide. Oh God. And it just, my kids had their own issues, which all kids do. They do. They do. And something just hit, kicked inside me and I got very depressed. And I remember going to make my son, my oldest son, a birthday cake Mm -hmm. and thinking, I don't deserve to eat Mm. this cake. Oh, wow. And something about not eating it made me think, made me feel better. Mm -hmm. Well, you felt in control. You had so exactly it lifted so much, so much in your life was, yeah, not in control. Exactly. And then I 
that lasted for a little while. And then I thought, well, now I won't eat this. And mm-hmm. okay, now I feel really good. And I just started eliminating food after food after food after food. But it looked like I was just being healthy. It yeah. went from like an exercise bulimia where I mm-hmm. thought, okay, I ate pretzels. So now I have to work out for another hour. Um, it went to full out real anorexia mm-hmm. and be careful what you wish for because exactly it was now I remember the first time I went to a nutritionist mm-hmm. I didn't think I needed because I knew the calories in every food I'm so I'm confident I, that I you for a nutritionist I'm sure you did yes <laughs> and she asked me about how it starts mm-hmm. and I thought which part of starting is she talking about mm-hmm. Um, is it in the morning where you don't eat? Is it when you're thinking about you, what you will eat? And she said something like, why, why are you controlling yourself like this? Mm -hmm. I don't remember how she asked it, but she, I said, I like being in control. Mm -hmm. And she said, but you're not in control. Exactly. And it was the most shocking thing mm-hmm. and the most true thing. I was so out of control. Yeah. And yeah. my friends were like, wow, that's so cool that you don't, <laughs> you don't eat dessert and you don't eat. And I was th- at that point, I was so thin and so sick. I thought, I can't eat it. Yeah. Don't commend me for exactly. not eating dessert. I can't let it pass through my lips or mm-hmm. I will implode. Right. And so I, the anorexia turned into bulimia. Mm-hmm. Often happens. Yes. Yeah. And then my daughter heard me once mm-hmm. and then I knew I, you I, had, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't be that person. So you, anymore. right. So I you, went, I went away to yeah. treatment. And it was, oh my goodness. I'm sure it was to leave your kids and whatnot. But you're amazing. But, but then you can't see here, here it is 15 years later. Exactly. And it has been such a great life lesson for my kids. The pain it caused them at the time was great, but now Mm -hmm. know that when you have an issue. Yeah. You tackle it, you full out tackle it. And they commend me for doing what I did. Uh, I would be here today if I didn't do what I did. Okay. So first of all, um, just a really amazing story between your childhood and the struggles and just the anxiety and depression and then eating disorder and three kids and realizing the other guy, forget him. And you meet a nice guy and you know, you have three kids with him and I'm I'm not saying everything is always perfect because who's this, you know, that doesn't work that way. Um, But that you have this inner strength to say, I'm going to move forward. I'm going to, I'm going to get better. And in the same time, it sounds like in the same time frame, while you're recovering to some degree, also finishing college and then doing some teaching, you know, so, and loving it. So it's just, what I love about the story is, is that, it's so, first of all, thank you for sharing. It's so raw and vulnerable. And it's really how, how many of us go through this kind of stuff and, and to some degree or another. And 
say, I'm going to move through it. And on the outside, that's the other thing I, I love about what you said on the outside, you appeared like, yeah, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. And I've got this nice house and three kids and yeah, I'm good. I, you know, whatever. I'm all good. When on the inside, you were not good, but had enough of a sense of yourself to say, I, I want to get good, which, you know, you are now, and I want to do what I love. And so are you still doing teaching now? I am. I mean, not in the summer, but I'm just saying, yes. Yeah. Well, first I would like to say that Go ahead. don't always recover for yourself initially. Uh-huh. And that's okay. Love I that. Not, I did not go into recovery for me. I didn't have enough of me in me to do it for me. Mm-hmm. Understandable. But I wanted to be there for my family. I mm-hmm. was, I, I just, that was my number one priority. So I did it for them, but in the end, I, I did it for me mm-hmm. because I have become a full person now. Um, my kids I have goosebumps. I have goosebumps. <laughs> my kids grew up and mm-hmm. that happens. Yes, it so, does. <laughs> um, uh, now I have a sense of self because mm-hmm. I went and, and found it. And I had to give up the eating disorder a little, little by little to find out who, who mm-hmm. I am. And, um, and I f- have found that I just have this connection with middle school age kids. Yep. I see in them, even when I um, went to a lemonade stand last week mm-hmm. and was buying lemonade from middle school kids I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I just, I see a spark. Mm-hmm. I just in these kids, I see a spark. And uh, I just feel it's a gift that I have to, um, to find their spark and make them aware of it and hopefully change change their trajectory if they need that. First of all, I love what you said about recovery, you know, um, as a therapist, because lots of times people come into my office and they say my, my, especially my, when I've worked with you know, all my adolescents, I don't want to be here. My parents may become, but it doesn't matter. You know, the idea is, so if your motivation at that time was, I don't want my daughter hearing me, you know, vomit or whatever, and, or see me, see me even do any pay, behaviors like this restricting. And I want her to see me eat like a normal person and, and just whatever. If that's the impetus, I say, Hey, Hey, hip, hip, hooray. Great. If you're in a good treatment program, and then usually those are short term, and then you find a good therapist who can help you through the process, then it's going to be for you. So, um, but I just think that's an amazing story and an amazing point and that you love middle school. I mean, I taught fourth grade and I would say I, t- you know, like people, I, I happen to love adolescents. It's been a lot of my practice and people say to me, how do you, I, and I love them. So I understand the feeling you're describing middle school. I would sort of be with the other people that go really <laughs> so that you're out there for them and it gives you a spark to find their spark. I think is amazing so that, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and that you felt it and you followed it at 37 years old. I mean, you got a little nudge, but 
hey, I've nudged people and it doesn't mean they do it. And so you did it um, on both accounts, both recovering back to the trauma, which probably has something to do with the eating disorder, your childhood, then having it, then going for treatment, then realizing you speech pathology is not for you, but teaching is, and I want this age group. And that's what you've been doing for, I don't know, 10 years now? Uh, 14. 14. Unbelievable. And, and in the process, you found Beth and are connected to her now in a whole new way. And I would also like to add that treatment programs, I remember this nutritionist saying, you will probably not be in one treatment program. Uh-huh. I remember yeah. thinking, wow, I'm making this huge leap. Are mm-hmm. you telling me that I will be recovered in six weeks? Yeah, no. And it did take multiple, uh, yeah. multiple yeah. attempts, yeah. but uh, I'm good. Yeah. Well, that's the main thing. And that's what, that is also another good point. No one's, re- in my experience of 40 years being a clinician and working with many variety, nobody's all done in six weeks about anything. If you come in and you want to explore your inner self and figure out who are you and what is it that I want in life that's not taking six weeks. Um, and it's, it is a journey, but you, you're unbelievably brave. And I just love how open and vulnerable you've been. What a great story. I'm so happy that you found your path and that you're doing as so well. So any other closing thoughts, because this has just been terrific. Any that you might want to share with a listener before I do my quote? I can't think of. Okay. The thing that you said that I think, well, the listener can, but I love when you said, and this is, I'm going to say, this is true for the purpose as well. Even if you start off doing something for someone else, if it inside of you feels right, then you will get there. You will get there. Yeah. So that to me is like just really important to kind of know. Some people don't always know, which is part of why I want to do this. Why I wanted to do this podcast is I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Just keep yourself open. Listen to the people around you who admire this or that in you and mostly try to listen to yourself. And when you get that spark, I love that word, that feeling, then you'll know like, oh, this is probably where I should be going. And it doesn't mean it's all going to be like, again, simple sailing, you know, smooth sailing, but it might be like, because for you, it sounded like you love learning, which that's the other thing I wanted to comment on. When you think about your schooling, your experience growing up and that you love learning the way you do, that is also kudos to you and amazing. So you're clearly in the right. Yeah. Because if I've yeah, never really thought about yeah, that. exactly. When I think I, I would be like, uh, school, uh. but no, you went once you got into your adulthood, you like love it. And I, you know, you're a reader, I'm guessing, and you're you're like a sponge of info. Yes. You want to learn, which is wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so that was a great, you know, great story. Thank you. Thank you. So here's here's again, you know, I picked these out before, whatever. So this is by Vincent Van Gogh. If you hear a voice within you say you cannot paint, and that's in quotes because it's really a metaphor. I'm sure people get that. If you hear a voice within you that says you cannot paint, then by all means paint, and that voice will be silenced. Because I think we hear voices that tell us what we can't do. Like when you said, I can't go back to school at 28, then you did at 37, you, 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 the voice at that point was saying, okay, because your therapist said, give it a shot. But th- what he's saying, which is what I love, just the thing, if something's telling you, no, 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 but inside it's like, yes, yes, yes. Then 
do it. And that voice will be silenced. And in my opinion, it'll get louder in terms of like, yeah, I'm really on my path. So this is good. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's amazing how much there is of feeling in our bodies. Yes. That we can either ignore and it mm -hmm. just stays there mm -hmm. or we can go toward it. And um, yeah, they're there. They're there. They're so there. yes. So kind of the closing thought is go there, listeners, go towards that inner voice. All right. Thank you so much, Beth. Going to wrap it up for today. So thank you so much for listening to On Purpose. Hopefully you're living your life with purpose and on purpose. Till next time, I'm Janice Alpert. Bye.